morning, we have the opportunity to come into the house of the Lord and to honor Him, to worship Him, to give Him all our praise. So why don't we stand to our feet? I'm going to ask us to do this again. Why don't we just lift our hands? Let's get our focus right now on the Lord. Just begin to worship him right where you're at. Before we start, yourself, right now, in your seat, begin to declare that he is God. Begin to declare that he is good. Begin to declare that he is faithful, that he is amazing, that he is provider, that he is king of kings and lord of lords, that he is savior. So, Father God, as we come into your house this morning, we choose to push aside all those things that would weigh us down. All the things throughout the week, the busyness, the stresses, God, we place them down and we know right now, being in the house of our God is the exact place we need to be. And so, Father, this morning, we choose to acknowledge you, to honor you, to worship you, to turn our attention to one person, you, to honor you for all you've done. And so this morning, we choose to worship you in Jesus' name. So let's set our attention fully to him, laying everything down, everything aside, and honor him this morning. seasons in your life where you are not faithful but the word says he remains faithful the promises don't depend on your faithfulness they depend on his faithfulness so we break we break the lie that says you are no longer eligible for the promises of God we say the promises are yes and amen Yes and amen. That promise will take place. Can we agree with that? So there's some statements I think we've made where I think God wants to come in and shift that. And Jenna just shared something with me. Come on, Jenna. What Chris just said, actually, last night we were at uh, the altar with Steve Holmstrom on his property and he had this event and Dennis Weidrich got up and began to talk about the pregnant woman and he talked about promises and our and vision and how uh, the things that we have, the seeds from God is like a pregnant woman and he, and he referred the whole parallel of the picture of a pregnant woman but he said the thing that comes to rob and steal is the vision stealer. 
He actually spoke about a stronghold and a spirit, a demonic spirit that comes to steal vision. And as we were singing, I just kept hearing, he's the promise keeper, not the vision stealer. And one thing that Dennis Weidrick did is he said, he put a stake in the ground and said, this land, this place will be a place where the vision stealer is not allowed to be. And I feel to make that stake in the ground here in this place that the vision stealer is not allowed to be here. We rebuke you in Jesus' name. We cast that spirit out and we say no more miscarriages, no more visions that God you have put inside of us to fall away. Oh God, but this is a promise keeping place where God you keep your promises. Oh God, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Declare this right now. Online, declare it in your homes. feel it right now it's almost like some of those promises that you feel are not going to happen I feel like that fire has been lit again right now I just feel the fire of God is being lit in your hearts so even just put your hand on yourself right now God I just pray right now the fire of God upon each person in this church God those promises those promises that we've given up on restoke that fire right now father online for each person wondering is God ever going to come through in my life? Right now, God, restoke that fire in their hearts. Build their faith. Build their faith. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. That's who he is. That's who he is. Yes, he is. Just uh, reading in Deuteronomy, Moses is about to send the Israelites into the promised land, and he's kind of recapping, and he's sharing all these wonderful promises. And this, this one phrase stood out to me, and it was when, in one of the pro- promises, he talked about the grain, the new wine, and the oil. And just as I was up here this morning, I was asking God what that meant, why I highlighted it, why it stood out. And I'm sure there's been studies on this, but what it felt to me this morning was the grain is the natural provision the abundance and the blessing of God. The wine is the joy, is that peace. You know, no, nobody drinks during wartime. It's, it's a peaceful thing. You have to have 
faith and that peace and that joy. And the oil is that anointing from the Lord. It's that relationship with the Lord. It's that oneness and that connection. So God's promises, He wants to bless the natural as we put our faith in Him, as we put our trust in Him. And we, we pray for that joy and that connection with you, God, that your promises would bless all three, that we would come together and put our full trust in you, Jesus. Well, can we say amen? amen. Father, we thank you for your spirit. Hmm. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would uh, anoint your word today, Father, that truth would come into our lives. Father, we ask for a divine alignment in Jesus' In Jesus' name. Uh, I'm going to read a story here from the disciples. But I want to get back. Uh, uh, ben and Jenna said something about doing something for kids. And, you know, one of the reasons why we don't expect much from kids is because we don't understand our faith. One of the reasons why we don't have the kind of effective ministries. I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm not called to kids. I don't think you would want me to be ministering to your kids, right? I mean, there's some people who are suited for that and others not. But there, there are other elements around this, around the issue of faith, because on some level, we actually believe that the essence of our faith is cognitive in nature. The, in, in some way, we believe that if the kids have no capacity to understand the concepts of Christianity, it's pointless to, to induct them into something. And so we, we keep it uh, loose and light and peripheral. We talk about the stories. And there's nothing wrong with talking about the stories. There's nothing wrong with explaining to kids the characters of the Bible and the adventurous stories that are, are depicted through faithful ones. But we know this. We know that the depth of faith goes much far beyond just the chronicle of lives lived and died in the name of Jesus and in the glory of God. But here's the thing. We actually are always, as a church, we make this mistake, we're always appealing to the intellects of people. And that's a mistake. And I believe that's one of the reasons why we are not as invested in creating spiritual experiences for children. And every, every effective child minister I've known has had a revelation uh, on this issue. They have realized it's not the cognitive maturity of the child that makes uh, the ability for the impact of the kingdom to be received by them. Right. That, that God means to bypass and uh, your cognitive abilities to make real impact. And so I want to talk about some aspects of that this morning and how, how that we have, we have centered faith around education because we are convinced that if we just 
inform you enough <laughs> that that will put enough pressure on you to subjugate whatever needs to be subjugated to obedience. And this is wrong. This is a fundamental misconception. And, uh, and so, uh, does that mean we don't care about the mind? Not at all. Not at all. Absolutely not. But it's a question of what is first and what is second. That's, that's the reality. And so, we have this scenario where the disciples, I'm at, pardon me, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the lawyers, the Sadducees, and if you don't know who they are, you can Google that. But it's just these different kind of people who are invested in a religious system that was supposed to represent God, but resulted in something quite opposite. And so Jesus comes and he's confronting that. But he's doing it in a way that he's, he's trying to root around them. He's trying, to, he's trying to send a message to them, but his message to them is, is, is very key. He said, I've got to tear down your present confidence to bring you something, out, something else. And so his, his ministry to the religious leaders is actually quite different than his ministry to the broken. You know, and that's just the nature of the way it goes. You know, uh, the broken, he didn't need to break down. <laughs> They're already broken. He just needed to lift them up. But the proud, the religious leaders, the intellectual giants of the day, the wealthy, the competent, those who were the masters of that culture, he needed to tell them, you are nothing. <laughs> so depending on where you sit on the spectrum of you think you're something or you think you're nothing... God's ministry will be toward you very differently. And so, you know, let, let, it, let that sit where it may. <laughs> Is God tearing you down or building you up? Both of these can be the Lord. And so, so uh, uh, Jesus was, was subverting this intellectual confidence that these men and women had. These were scholars. These were educated people. These were people who knew the word. Like, you know, the Old Testament, the covenants, the law. Backwards and forwards. You know, they were the experts in, in terms of competency, intellectual competency about the law, its application, and all the rules connected to it. And, and so gee, they were very analytical people. And they came out because, you know, some hurrah was being made about this, this prophet, this guy who comes out of who knows where. They don't understand. They come, miracle signs, what, what, what's that about? And they come, and they're listening intently to Jesus they're listening to his words, but they're listening from a certain kind of position, this default position where the cognitive, their thinking abilities is central. So they're basically determining, is what he's saying correct or is what he's saying incorrect? That's, that's their whole posture, their whole thing. And, and they spent, I mean, they're listening, they're memorizing. If they had pencil and paper, they were taking notes. But these guys, they remember it. Because later on, I remember there's one classic, uh, I think it's in about John 8. There's this one classic moment where Jesus says something which seems to be contrary to something he said before. He starts saying something about himself. I'm this. And they said, hey, you said before that if you testify of yourself, if you say something about yourself, that your, your, your testimony is invalid. 
And so they caught him. Ah, what you are saying now is contradicting what you said before. Why? Because this is what they do. They're listening to the words. They're trying to determine the phrases. And Jesus says this most powerful thing to them. And there's so much I could get into here. This is, but uh, I'm, I'm preaching not to inform you. I'm preaching to demoralize your confidence in intellectual ability. That, that's what we're, because uh, faith begins with something in your spirit. So he says to them, the reason you can't understand my speech is because you can't hear my word. And that was a revolutionary statement. He's saying, he's saying there's more to what I'm saying than words and phrases and sounds and, you know, consonants and, and uh, the articulation of vowels. There's more to what I'm saying. There's, there's something that I'm saying that comes from an entirely different realm. And it, I call it my word. The reason you cannot uh, understand my speech is because you cannot hear my word. In other words, he's saying... My word is different than my speech. Okay, whatever. I mean, to the Pharisees, Jesus was just making stuff up. You know, he, this is what they thought. This guy is loony. He's just, I mean, it doesn't make sense. He's not consistent. He's, he's contradicting himself. And, uh, and you know what? So much of the present day church is in that, in, in that arena. Of evaluating and listening and being careful. And I'm telling you right now, that's not how we do evangelism. That's not how we touch children. That's not how we minister to the world. We've got to come with something else entirely different. And see, what what Jesus, I was just, you know, I was out there on Saturday, uh, Friday night and Saturday, I think it was, in Drayton Valley. And I was talking to this, this, um, this person who had just gotten saved recently. And, uh, and they were, oh, no, it wasn't that. There was somebody who got involved in something else. But they said when they heard about this thing, they said they didn't understand it. They didn't know what it was. But everything inside them responded to this. Everything inside them told them, you, I must have this. What is that? Well, they, she didn't understand what it was. She didn't have any information, but something inside of her responded to what was being offered in a way that was aside from emotion, in a way that was aside from, you know, just willing to want this, in a way that was aside from the intellectual, uh, you know, consensus from herself to say, oh, this is logical, this is right, this is correct. I sh- this will improve my life. I must do this. No, something entirely different from a space inside of her she did not even un- realize was there, just wanted this. And that's the way this works. After that, after that, God will explain you to the details. But that has to be the starting point. That's why he says you must be born again. You must be born Again, something which was dead must come alive inside of you. Something that was not functional has to become functional for you to appreciate this. And we've got churches filled with people who are not born again or not spirit-centered who are trying to figure out the right things to say 
and the wrong things to say. They're trying to discern what's the right, correct doctrine about this and about that. And is this right? Is this wrong? Is this doctrinally New Testament? Is that legalism? Is this old? Is this new? And they're trying to figure it out on that scale. God, deliver us. Father, from the position of being authors of our own salvation, deliver us from being authors of our own enlightenment. Father, deliver us into a spirit of revelation, I pray in Jesus' name. Now, let me read this story. There's a great story here. I... I, uh, I love this. I was going to only read a little part, but I'm going to read the whole thing. Not the part, but the whole. Isn't there a, a, a hymn? Not the part, but the whole. Isn't that? Yeah. I like that phrase. I'm misusing it here, but it's not theologically correct. It's not hymnologically correct. <laughs> hymnologically correct, but it's true. It's called The Road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus. Now, behold, two of them. This was after Jesus died. Okay, Jesus died, was crucified. A lot of disillusionment. The disciples have scattered. But Jesus has risen from the dead. And rumor has it, he is alive. Rumor. And some people haven't seen him, but they heard that he was around. You know, so that's the, that's the backdrop. So in verse 13 of Luke 24, it says this. Now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day, to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Okay, just pause right there. How is this intellectually consistent? How can your eyes be constrained? How, you know, can you see every facet of this kingdom thing is meant to be supernatural? These were people who walked with Jesus, who knew the sound of his voice. Probably some of them knew what he smelt like. You know, they knew what he looked like. He knew his hair color, his eye color. Everything about him, the, the, you know, the, the cadence of his speech. I mean, they knew this man. And yet he comes there and they can't recognize him. Because what? Because they forgot? Because, you know, they're coming off a big night of partying? No, they are veiled. Say veiled. There are spiritual veils. Some apparently come from God, but some come from other places. If we're going to evangelize, we have to learn to deal with veils. And these are spiritual things. It's not enough to present a concise image and correct theology about what this is about. It's not enough to frame the promises and the potential that you have if you start coming to church. We have to do something entirely spiritual. Oh, man. Let me put it this way as well. If you're here and you struggle understanding what I'm talking about, you have a veil over your mind. And the issue is not me speaking more slowly or more clearly or in French or Spanish. The issue is remove the veils. Start seeking God 
for a breakthrough in your ability to comprehend. So, uh, hallelujah. So they were veiled. They couldn't see him. They couldn't understand. They didn't know him. In verse 17 it says, He said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened in these days? Like, where are you from, dude? You know, we're totally, the region's totally caught up with the news. How, How is it you don't understand? And he said to them, what things? Hey, you know, Jesus can act. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, this is gentle Jesus. Oh, foolish ones. (laughs) Let me interpret. Are you guys idiots? Don't you understand the word of God? Did you not listen to him? Weren't you with him for all that time? But he's holding himself back. Slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Yeah, there's an encouragement for you. Are you dense? Why? (laughs) You should be further along. I love that when Jesus talks like that, because... Anyway, <laughs> ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? I wonder what their facial expressions were saying like that. I thought you said you didn't know who he was. <laughs> that doesn't come up, apparently. <laughs> and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them in all the scripture, the things concerning himself. Man, he went to town delivering the word. And verse 28 says, Then they drew near the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. Again, acting. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they knew him, and he vanished in their sight. I love that. You see, the veil disappeared instantly. This is what we're talking about. Revelation is, has nothing to do with your mental acuity. Revelation has nothing to do with how detail-oriented you are or whether you are an observant kind of a person. Revelation has to do with ability that is native to your spirit, not your mind. 
It is something that comes from above. It is engaged or disengaged, not by the will of man, not by your desire to know, but by other factors which are spiritual in nature. And the gifts and the callings of the evangelist and the prophet and the pastor and teacher aren't just there to explain things to you in the language that you would like to hear it and understand. They are there to operate in gifts that unlock and lock veils over our minds and lives in order to bring us into a fullness of our spiritual destiny. These These things are not there for our entertainment. Oh, look at the supernatural way the kingdom started way back then. Isn't that nice? No, it continues in the same vein. It always has. But our misplaced confidence that, you know what, if we have just really good music, if we just have really good, talented songs, if we sing the latest songs, if we sing the songs that are, you know, contemporarily uh, modern, right, then it's really, this is really going to work. I remember I had a guy come to me years ago. I wasn't attending his church. He's a friend of my mom. I went to his Bible study at his house and a bunch of people there, some excitement. But I, I just, I didn't feel led at all to join his church. And he took me aside. He knew I was in Bible college. And, and he, said, he said, Mark, can I ask you a question? I said, okay. He said, uh, you know, I'm just uh, trying to figure this out. You know, how, how come you're not coming to my church? I mean, you know, and he started giving me the props. You know, these, these are the things that we do. We, we're, we're not in old religion. We're not in old style. You know, we're hip. We're, we're singing modern choruses. <laughs> yeah. What, what is he saying? He's saying, listen, I have this internal confidence that if we do things culturally correct, that it will attract young people. You're a young person and you're not coming. What are we doing wrong? Though I'm sure we're not doing anything wrong. Because there are things that are more significant than culturally appropriate measures. (sighs) You see, the trump card that reaches past... What you like and what you don't like, what you prefer, what you'd like to, you know, what you, what you would envision for your life, what, uh, what you're drawn to in, in terms of TV and entertainment. These things are all bypassed when the spirit of life manifests. There's something inside of us that responds to life. And that's the thing we need to be cultivating, not everything else, not the trappings of our, of our collective effort to be Christian. Whatever shape that takes. And is there a a more contemporary way we should go to not put hurdles in 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 the place of people's path? Absolutely. That just makes common sense. You know, I mean, we shouldn't be talking in our conversation in Old English. Right? I mean, we should be using New English, present English. If we can, somebody was telling me the other day, you know, the, the version of the Bible they have in French. They use words for shoes, for example, that they don't, we haven't used that the whole time I've been alive. So when I read that and that word being used, why don't they use the new word? It means shoes. <laughs> right? So that's an unnecessary cultural roadblock. But the point is, we should do that, but our confidence is that's not what's going to get them saved. We're just going to diminish that 
as a big problem. It's kind of like this, you know. You don't have the worst singer in the world leading your worship. Right? You generally get somebody who can sing in tune. You try to. Is there an amen? Is that a, yeah. Right, right. You know, because, I mean, it's, it's possible that somebody could be really anointed and off-key. It's still grating, though. But here's the thing. Talented singers are not necessarily anointed singers. Okay, so let's get on. So he disappears. And then they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us when he talked with us on the road? While he opened the scriptures to us, so they rose up at our return to Jerusalem found the eleven who were there uh, with them and gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Here's here's the thing I want to bring out here. They have this encounter with Jesus. He rose from the dead. He was dead. Now he's alive. Okay, that's that's an incredible fact. That's a fact that's inspiring. That's a fact that would get you emotionally hyped. But when they say, you know, what was the highlight of the experience we just had? Was it the fact that we didn't see him and then we did see him? Was the fact that he was sitting right in front of us and disappeared? That's kind of an important detail. That's pretty amazing. Right? But they said, did not our hearts burn? Why? Why is that the keynote feature of this whole story for them? Did not our hearts burn? Because, because this is the essence of how the gospel is communicated. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, the words of life, they, are, they fall in a certain place inside of you, and it's not here. It can illuminate here. It can inspire emotion, but before it does all those things, there's a component in it that does something else. Now, you can have all of those things. You could have an intellectual display. You can have an emotionally passionate delivery, and you can have amazing anointing in the spirit that causes hearts to burn. Or you can have just the one and not the others. But the effect we're looking for is not dependent upon the emotional delivery. It's not dependent upon the theological consistency and correctness of what it's been saying. It's dependent upon the release of life. Now, I've shared this before, and I'm going to share it again. When, in John chapter 6, when Jesus discerned that there were some in the crowd, and there were a lot of people following him, right? Some were coming because of the miracles. Some were coming just to see something interesting, right? Maybe he'll disappear. Maybe he'll fly. Maybe he'll make bananas manifest out of nowhere. But there is a variety of reasons why people were coming. And clearly he says this. You can go to John 6, and he says, you, some came because of the food, right? Some come just for the snacks, yeah. It's ungodly, but they do that. <laughs> Some just come for the snacks. So, so Jesus, 
Jesus says to them, eat my flesh and drink my blood. You want snacks? Here's a snack. <laughs> right? Drink my blood. Now we know, we know this intellectually, this is, this is explainable. Right? We know it's, it's a picture. We know it represents a spiritual thing. But they didn't know that, nor did he explain it to them. He left it purposely ambiguous. He didn't want to clarify it because he knew that unbelief will stumble over apparent wrong doctrine. Now, his doctrine wasn't wrong. He was perfectly correct in what he meant and what he said. But he wasn't about to explain it to a bunch of unbelievers. I'm not going to satisfy the fact that you are totally oriented around your mind. I'm not going to cater to that. In fact, what I need you to do is deny that because when I'm talking, there's a burning in your heart and there's a burning in your head. Which one are you going to obey? And if you want to be a person of faith, you've got to deny the one and go after the other. Jesus understood that. And so he said to them, when the disciples themselves were struggling, he says, he says uh, do you guys want to go too? Which is in itself amazing. The implications are many. But he said, Peter says, well, <laughs> this is a hard saying. But he says, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, he's saying, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged that we're losing so many people. We had a good thing going. Okay, so on so many, you know, there's a lot of check marks in the wrong column here. But I know that the burning in my heart that I feel when you talk is more valid than anything else. And I'm choosing to align with that thing. I don't know what it is. I, you know, and I, I don't understand it, but this is, this is my choice. I've made my decision. But this is what he said to the disciples when they're struggling. He says, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Some of you listen to my speech. Others of you are hearing my word. This is not an elementary thing. This is not an optional thing. This is central to being a spiritual believer. This is essential to being a destiny-driven son and daughter of God. It is essential if we're going to realize anything more than improving our culture or, or the trappings of our faith. If we want to hit the heart of our faith, it has to begin with birthing what is life. And I don't have time to go into it, but let me just break it down this way. When the knowledge of good and evil came in, when mankind fell, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they, they were reduced to a plane of understanding where they lived their life uh, veering away from what was bad and trying to go towards what was good. And there's a, there's a complexity there that I won't, don't want to go into. But Jesus came and said, said to them, listen, I'm not even playing on that field. 
I'm not any, I'm playing on that level. He says, he said to these guys who are listening to his words, trying to find, is this correct doctrine or wrong, right doctrine, or wrong doctrine or right doctrine? Is this correct or incorrect? He says, I'm not even playing that game. In fact, I'll say things that are incorrect in your mind on purpose. Because I am from below, above, but you are from yeah. below. This is not about correct or incorrect. This is about life and death. And I'm not trying to just fill you with correct things. I'm trying to move you into another dimension of existence. Being born again is not about giving you correct doctrine. It's shifting the place from which you operate. From the natural to the spiritual. So that you're not living from below, but you're living from above. Because with that comes a whole range of abilities that are above and beyond and more powerful than all of the furnished strengths of your soul. That's what it means to make disciples. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And God will use key moments to frustrate you and to show you which plane you're really playing on. Even if you are a believer. Because he's saying, listen, you are born again. You are enlightened. But your equilibrium rests on your intellectual cognitive abilities. And that's a confidence I want to wreck. That's a confidence I want to change. So, Father, I pray today, God, that you would change our confidence. Lord, that we would shift uh, to the place, Lord, where when, when we feel the life of God on words, we accept it without question that we know it's going to be correct doctrine not because we know it's correct doctrine but because it's life nothing from above is going to be incorrect so father show us the difference between an emotionally charged presentation and what is what is from above show us the difference between a correct theological presentation and what is from above god we want an appetite for what comes from above. We pray in Jesus' name. Does that make sense? These are the days when an emerging company, sons and daughters, come to maturity, who operate on this plane unapologetically and consistently. They're coming into their fullness. And I want us all to be part of that. Yeah. I want to be a part yeah. of that. I'm on that journey. Yeah. We're all on that journey. So let's do this together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, it's 11.23. Do you know where your parents are? <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh. Anybody have something to, in closing? We got... Six minutes we could use, or we could just close right now. I don't feel like we need to do an, uh, 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 an altar call or anything, but if any of our... Chris, why don't you come, Chris? Say something clever at the end here. <laughs> Cheap. Wow, now everything has just left. Thank you very much, right? You know, uh, 
as he was just closing there, it's a stupid illustration, but I'm going to say it anyway, is I often read all of the hockey rumors, right? And I listen to these guys who know everything that's going on, right? They all talk about, no, this is what's going to happen. This is, this, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Everybody talks as if they know. But the reality is there's one person that knows. One, right? That's it. And that person, you can't tell them any of those rumors are true because they know the truth. And Jesus is the one who knows the truth, right? There are so many that have all these thoughts of how it should be or how it should look, but when you're talking to the one who created it, that's it. So we have one option. It's to come in line with the one who created it. That's it. There's no other option. So, God, we put down even our thoughts, what we think is truth, and we just say, God, let your spirit guide us. Let your spirit lead us, because that's what we will rely on. That's what we will trust on, not on our own intelligence, but on you, Father. So, God, where we have tried to put our intelligence above, we repent for that right now, Lord, and we lay that down at the altar of Jesus Christ. And my wife has something to say. I just, I just want to confess to you, you know, for years, Mark and I have gone back and forth about this default that I operate in, and I, I when things in the spirit start to amp up a bit, I get like, <laughs> I'm afraid, so I'll just default into my brain, um, and part of what I've had to do is surrender to the spirit, and I've had to confess to the Lord when I've defaulted into my brain and defaulted into my own wisdom because of fear, but also because of this idea of, oh, we are, we are getting out of control, and I don't like this. I am afraid. And I, I feel that right now. Like, I feel that, oh, man, we're being called to something, and I just want to default into what is safe and what I know and what I'm good at, and I'm a little bit scared of this whole jumping into the spirit thing. I think about August 29th, and I am peeing my pants. That's one way to put it. Um, well, you used hockey illustrations, so, you know. But anyway, I actually would like to pray. And I'm going to first repent where I continue to do this. And... I just want to bless you all to be free from being traumatized by that default. We don't need to be afraid. We just don't. We don't have to be afraid. And, and we can move into the spirit and be free and watch Jesus be made fully glorified, right? Okay, so Lord, first and foremost, I, I want to confess to you that literally I'm shaking in my boots every time I think about moving into the spirit in ways that I don't understand, that I don't have control over. I am nervous about this. The flesh in me wants to be rooted and grounded in my own control. And I'm going to say it out loud right now. I'm going to expose it and I'm going to confess it. So, Jesus, right now, I'm going to let go of control. I'm just going to let go of that. And I'm going to surrender myself to the Spirit. Not, 
I'm, I, I'll be a fool for you, Jesus. We will be a fool for you. And so I confess that to you. But now I pray, Lord Jesus, every person in this room, give them the strength to surrender away from their default mode of jumping into their brains and being in control and reasoning it out and and feeling powerful in that way. And we just lean into the things of the Spirit now, God. Cleanse us, cleanse us, God, of that default mode right now. And I just want to say, I cut all ties in Jesus' name. I cut all ties from that default mode in Jesus' name, and I send it back to where it belongs. It does not belong to Jesus. It does not belong to his kingdom. And I pull back my own spirit, and I ask you to do the same now. Our spirit belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. No default modes right now. And so, God, I just pray we lift up our hands and we surrender unto the spirit. In this season, we surrender to the spirit of God All that he asks, like Mark said, as soon as our spirits burn, as soon as our hearts burn, we will lean into that, and we won't even give a moment for the enemy to begin to stir up fear and default in us. We'll lean into the things of the Spirit immediately. We will obey immediately. And God, I just want to say, I don't understand. My mind is not intended to comprehend. And I, I can confess, I'm going to just say it's okay to not understand. Yeah. It is okay. Yeah. In fact, it is better to admit we don't understand. We don't have a grid for what the Spirit says and what the Spirit is doing, except that the Spirit is the Spirit of understanding. The Spirit is the Spirit of revelation. The Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom. So we want to actually put aside the things that we've held to We want to put aside, like Jen said, the defaults that we have held on to. We we want to put aside all of those things that we fall back on and depend on. We want to fall forward into you. We want to fall forward into your spirit. We want to fall forward into your life. And there is something that Jenna has been saying that I haven't been catching What is going on? What is going on here? What is going on? And I say it's okay to say what is going on because we actually want to enter. We want to enter the things of the spirit and leave behind the things of the flesh. And so, God, I just ask that you would deal with the veil. God, that you would deal with the veil. We actually give you permission to deal with the veil over our hearts. And we say, come and rend the veil. Come and tear that veil off of our uh, the understanding of our hearts and bring us into the newness of life and the newness of spirit so that when, when you speak, our hearts burn. Bring us into that burning of hearts so that we can respond to what you are bringing beyond English words, beyond the understanding of our minds, God. Bring us into the understanding of the heart. Let's stay in the spirit. So I'm seeing an image of those stories where a mother uh, lifted a car to save their child. I don't know what came over me, but I lifted a car. We have moments in our life where something happens and in the natural, something comes over us to save our child and we don't think we respond. There is a recklessness required to have the audacity to grab a car and lift it 
to save your child. There, there, is, a, there is a recklessness. So, so I, want to, I want to pray over this room for a boldness and a recklessness to respond to the Spirit of God. When the burning comes inside, a recklessness. And, that, and I can hear as I say it, well, don't be too reckless. Well, you know, I mean recklessness, but listen. Listen, God guides that. It's, it, we are reckless. He's in control. We are reckless. He's in control. God, we are not going to be worried about how we look or how reckless. You are the one doing the saving. You, so boldness and recklessness. When we feel that burn, I pray that we would lose all... Oh... Just pray. Just pray. When your child is sitting under a car, you don't care what you look like. You don't care who's around you. You lift the car. I don't know what came over me. Wow. There's just... There's just this wet blanket that says you can lift that car with dignity. No, you can't. And it's not just reserved for single moments. It's reserved for every time the Lord speaks to us. Hmm. Hmm. If that's something that you want, just say, Lord, come. I don't want to be held back anymore. I want to respond. Lord, come. Let's say this together. Make me bold. Make me reckless. Make me bold. Make me reckless. More than I was before. I trust you. I trust you. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. There's times when people will come in and attach themselves to a body like this and do things that are foolish in the hopes that anything foolish will pass. There will be accountability. And because we're on a journey and we're attempting, but we're also correcting. And so we don't have to fear because if you're going off the end, we'll come alongside you. And we'll loving you, lovingly pull you back. But our temptation is more like often to do what Jen was saying. To default back to dignity. To default back to safe. To default back to natural. And that's what we don't want to do. So thank you, Lord, for bringing us. Yeah, another good word for reckless is just faith. So don't get thrown off by it, right? I don't want to be reckless. No, but you want to have faith. And faith is sometimes taking that blind step, which we can say is sometimes reckless, right?